John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com. Promo code John Z. This is episode number 124 of the Individual One podcast. And for the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a truly conservative perspective because, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. And follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual One Pod. We are uh, taping this uh, podcast the morning after what is scheduled to be the first of three presidential debates. And uh, like most of the world, we're still trying to fully comprehend uh, what we witnessed uh, last night. Boy, that escalated quickly. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Well, uh, it was entertaining. That's one word to use to describe it. Uh, There were other words that were used as well. Uh, Perhaps best summed up on CNN in the uh, post-debate wrap-up, where Jake Tapper and Dana Bash uh, minced no words whatsoever in describing what they had just witnessed. We'll talk about who won the debate, who lost the debate, but I can tell you one thing for sure. The American people lost tonight, because that was horrific. You just took the words out of my mouth. Um, You used some high-minded language. I'm just going to say it like it is. That was a shit show. And, you know, we're on cable. We can say that. Apologies for being um, maybe a little bit crude, but that is really the the phrase that I'm getting, you know, from people on both sides of the aisle. And I agree. It was a shit show. I don't know if there's going to be much political impact from what happened last night, but there's no question that it was a shit show. And it didn't have to be that way. And in fact, it didn't even start off that way. And then things changed rather rapidly. Boy, 
that escalated quickly. Now, to review, I said many months ago, back when I was still naive and didn't realize that the reaction to COVID was a religion that would be accepted by over 50% of the American people. I thought we were still going to have some semblance of rationality. I didn't think we were all going to lose our balls so completely. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, But we did. Uh, But before all that happened, I naively thought that Biden was going to have a problem when the debate began, and traditionally there's a handshake between the candidates, right? What was Biden going to do? Because Biden wasn't going to be allowed to shake hands with with Trump because his base, I thought it was only going to be his base at that time, would find that to be a violation of the COVID religion. Blasphema! Uh, But uh, that problem was alleviated because they actually negotiated. (laughs) This is so insane. They negotiated that there would be no handshake before the debate, which has always been a traditional moment where the two candidates come together in some semblance uh, of reconciliation or friendship or mutual respect, whatever. And, you know, at the time, months ago, I thought, wow, what's Biden going to do? And clearly his people realized that that was going to be a problem for him. And they negotiated that problem away. Now, why the Trump people went along with that, I don't know. I don't know what they got, if anything, in return. Trump likes to think of himself as a great negotiator, uh, but he is not. Correct. And he probably got nothing in return because he probably didn't even understand what a potentially problematic moment that would be for Joe Biden to go against the COVID religion. Blasphemy! He said it again! So uh, there was no handshake. And symbolically, uh, that ended up being rather important. Now, at the beginning of the debate, uh, you know, things actually went okay. They talked about the choice of Amy Barrett to be the next potential Supreme Court nominee nominated uh, over the last week by uh, Donald Trump to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, We'll talk a little bit bit later about uh, the prospects for that actually happening and what the schedule is and what have you. But, uh, you know, the question was a reasonable one. Uh, Is this legitimate? Does the president have the right to do it? And and I actually, frankly, thought that Trump won that round. I think he was right on the issue. And I thought he did a pretty good job of articulating why that he was president, not for three years, but for four years. And he's just doing what the Constitution says. And things seemed to to go okay, Uh, But then they quickly started to go off the rails and uh, they started to go off the rails with uh, this issue, uh, well, frankly, they got they got off the rails almost on everything. But but Chris Wallace, who did a terrible job, an absolutely terrible job in moderating this debate. And I'm not a huge Chris Wallace fan. He's OK. Uh, you know, he's the liberal voice of reason on Fox News Channel, but he definitely loves the virtue signal. He loves his status as the woke member, the last woke member of the Fox News Channel stars, uh, star group. And, uh, and of course, this is the time to shine, right? And uh, I didn't think he controlled the dialogue. Obviously, he did not. He did not control Donald Trump. But also, I didn't think his questions were particularly fair. I thought they were very slanted towards Joe Biden. I thought uh, his handling, he, he, it was actually the worst of all worlds. He not only didn't control the dialogue, Uh, But he actually created a situation where he was forced to interrupt. Now, Trump 
deserves a lot of blame for this. He was forced to interrupt Donald Trump far more often than he did uh, Joe Biden. But overall, I thought everybody did a terrible job. I thought that uh, Donald Trump was a jackass. I thought that Joe Biden said things that were incredibly troubling, uh, especially with regard to COVID and what's coming uh, if and when he becomes president. And I thought that uh, Chris Wallace did a terrible job. So all three were horrendous. And I agree with uh, Jake Tapper. The American people lost. Of course, I'm sure CNN was much more focused on blaming Donald Trump for that. And he clearly is the catalyst. But there's a lot of blame to go around. Uh, all of it was terrible. And, uh, and all of it was an indication of the decline of America. Because uh, this doesn't happen overnight. This doesn't happen in a flash. This is a result of years and years of slowly denigrating our, the coarseness of our language, the nature of our media, the nature of our politics, the partisan nature of it all, and, of course, the nomination uh, and election of Donald Trump. But let's get to the substance of, of where things went. And, you know, one of the big news stories that occurred before the debate, and this was I have a problem with this as well. As you know, I'm big into fairness. I hate Trump. But I hate fairness, unfairness, even more than I hate Trump, largely. And, uh, you know, it was absolutely uh, absurd, in my view, that the New York Times, perfectly timed for the Sunday before the first presidential debate, suddenly drops a massive bombshell story on Donald Trump's taxes. Now, this is going to sound maybe contradictory to people who have listened to this podcast a lot, because I have been at the forefront from the very beginning way back in 2015, 2016, saying it's absolutely absurd that Donald Trump has not released his tax returns. He has lied about not releasing his tax returns. He's got this bogus excuse that, uh, you know, somehow he's still under audit. And that's the reason what well, we learned from The New York Times. It's not really an audit. It's a it's a, a, a debate or a, a conflict over whether or not Trump should be paying back a $72 million refund that he got from the federal government, which is just unbelievable. I mean, really? You cannot be serious. Uh, but, you know, here's the, here's the problem. Even though I'm at very much in the camp of Trump ought to be releasing his taxes. He lied when he said he would. He said he would when he got elected. That didn't happen. He's lying about the audit. There's clearly a reason why he is hiding his taxes. It's because he's not playing fair with the rules and or he's not very rich. It turns out from the New York Times piece that it's probably both. Uh, and it's very obvious. So I, I feel like the tax issue is a huge one. But even I believe that what the New York Times did was unfair. It was unfair in the timing uh, two days before the debate. When did they actually have this story, right? You're not going to tell me they got this story on Friday or Saturday before, before the debate. They've had this for a long time. They strategically scheduled it for the greatest political impact. And further proof of that, by the way, is the Biden team just happened to be ready to drop their taxes yesterday on the morning of the debate. Uh, this all feels like you know, we talk about uh, Russian collusion. Well, that wasn't proven, but there does seem to be collusion between the Biden campaign and the mainstream news media. But here's my biggest problem with the New York Times story. Again, I believe it. I believe the New York Times story. I believe it to be very relevant. I think it tells us an awful lot about who Donald Trump is and is not. But to drop it the Sunday before the first presidential debate and to not release the documents, to me, 
doesn't meet the threshold required in a story of this magnitude right at the heart of a presidential election. The New York Times is basically saying, hey, trust us. Correct. Well, that might have worked. That might have worked 10, 20, 30 years ago. But when you have revealed yourself, as the New York Times has, as an arm of the Biden campaign and the, the Democratic Party, and they absolutely are. They, they, that's what the New York Times now is. It always has been, but now they don't even try to disguise it. When you are overtly a part of, the, of one party's campaign, you don't then get to say, hey, trust us. We don't need to release the documents because that would be reveal sources. Uh, I get about revealing sources, but I'm sorry. If you can't reveal the sources, and if that's your concern, fine. But if you can't release the documents, you don't have a story that meets the threshold needed for this magnitude. This is as big as it gets. We're right in the middle of a presidential election, right before a presidential debate, and you're dropping this a day and a half in advance with the obvious intent to influence the debate? That, I'm sorry, that that doesn't work. That doesn't work, especially in an era where the news media has proven itself to be completely and totally untrustworthy. Correct. And that's coming from somebody who despises Donald Trump. But that's a fact with regard to the news media. Again, I believe the story. And I believe the story to be relevant. But I have big problems with the way that the Times handled it. Well, as the Times anticipated, and I'm sure they wanted, that was uh, one of the first questions asked by Chris Wallace at the debate. And, it, you know, Trump tried to, to deal with it the best that he could, uh, basically using the same argument that the New York Times did, which is, trust me, uh, I don't necessarily tr- believe Trump nearly as much on this particular issue as I do even the New York Times. But here's what that uh, interaction sounded like uh, last night. I'm asking you the specific question. Is it true that you paid $750 in federal income taxes each of those two years. I paid millions of dollars in taxes, millions of dollars of income tax. And let me just tell you, there was a story in one of the papers. Show I paid, I paid $38 million one year. I paid $27 million Show us your tax year. returns. I went. Uh, you'll see it as soon as it's finished. You'll see it. Now, I wish I could believe Donald Trump, but why would I? Why would I believe that he is going to release those tax returns? If they show what he says they show, then he should be ready to go with that immediately. He, he would discredit the New York Times in a lot of ways. Now, let's be clear. A lot of this requires a deep knowledge of tax law and the way taxes are done because of definitions of, okay, what's income tax, especially when you're a real estate mogul like Donald Trump is. And so you can play fast and loose with the definitions, which is part of why I think it was important that the New York Times should have been able to figure out a way to release the documents. But I don't trust Donald Trump uh, on anything, but I certainly don't trust him on this because he's already lied to us about this before. He's lied about releasing his tax returns once he got elected. He's been lying about this uh, not happening because of this audit. Again, it's not an audit. The reality is Donald Trump received a $72 million refund that the IRS eventually said, well, wait a minute, hold on a second. We're not sure that's legit. Give us the money back. I'm paraphrasing, uh, according to the New York Times. And and Trump is still fighting the IRS about that. So uh, I'll believe it when I see it. 
I, and I don't believe it's going to happen. I don't believe we're going to see documents from Donald Trump proving that the New York Times story, the essence of it, is, is uh, fraudulent. Uh, I, fr- part of me would like to see it, just to see the New York Times have to eat it. But, uh, but Biden's right on this. Show us the tax returns. Biden's done it. Every other major candidate has done it in, in, in modern times. Donald Trump has not. And the reason is because he's not that rich and he doesn't really pay much taxes. Uh, and, and he's very concerned about both of those issues, as he should be. And I think that there's major ramifications to the idea that he's not that rich. It's not just that his personal narrative is a fraud. And that should be important, right? I mean, if everything about you is false, I mean, if, if, if you're a Trump fan, of course, Trump fans, you know, they, they've stopped using logic a long time ago. I love the poorly educated. But, I mean, the whole reason why they bought into his mythology at the beginning was the premise that he's this super successful multi-billionaire. Well, if that's bullshit, then in theory... Shouldn't everything else fade away? I mean, if you find out that Superman really didn't come from Krypton and really can't fly over buildings, wouldn't you then change your view of Superman? I guess I'm just using too much logic for 2020. But uh, so there's the personal narrative lie that's at issue here. But there's also how we then must interpret other things. Like, for instance, I will never get past unless someone can explain it to me. And I've been asking this question for five years. How is it that Donald Trump, king of debt, who, according to his tax returns, is doing horribly other than getting paid to be a fake billionaire on television with The Apprentice? That's really the essence of his of his tax returns. We learned that basically the only thing he does is sell his name and and sell his image as a billionaire on NBC's The Apprentice. But even with that money coming in, he was still losing lots of money. How did he, in the 2014 range, when he had to be thinking about running for president, where you know you're going to need cash, how does he all of a sudden spend lots of cash, not majority loans, which was against his normal modus operandi, to buy two of the most prestigious golf properties in the world, Turnberry and the Doral Resort in Florida? How does that happen? How does that happen? That doesn't make, it's never made any sense to me at the time. And the more we learn, it doesn't make any damn sense. Uh, But it also goes to the bigger issue of here's a guy who is easily compromised. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. I mean, that that you're, I know, Mr. Mulder, you're not going to get into that because you did a lousy job. The the reality is that uh, here's a guy who could not be more easily compromised, both by conflict of interests as president of the United States as well as foreign entanglements. And that doesn't prove it. That doesn't prove anything. But it should easily have raised the question more dramatically and forced Robert Mueller, for instance, to go more strongly in that direction, which he clearly did not. And that was a major, major mistake. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. So, so that's the issue of the New York Times uh, bombshell, which I, again, I take issue with on the journalistic side, but on the substance side, I do think it's very relevant. And Trump, in fact, should release those returns. I doubt that he actually will. Then there's the issue of court packing, which came up in one of the very few situations where uh, where Chris Wallace asked a legitimate hard-hitting, direct question of Joe Biden. It might have been the only time that this happened. And Biden shit the bed. 
Biden shit the bed on this. He decided how, I mean, how you get away with this, and, and, and the reason why Biden's going to get away with this is, one, the media's on his side, and two, Trump has completely changed the subject through his own behavior, and so this is, you know, ancient history. But if, if Trump had been a normal person during the debate, this would be a major, major talking point that Joe Biden is refusing to take a position on his uh, party's desire, at least a large part of his party's desire, to pack the Supreme Court if Amy Barrett is, in fact, confirmed. In other words, here's what would happen. Barrett gets confirmed, as the Constitution dictates is perfectly fine and dandy. Uh, it's just bad luck if you're a Democrat that, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg happened to die just before an election. Biden wins the election. Republicans lose the Senate, which is looking increasingly likely. So Biden is president with a Democratic Senate, and they decide we're killing the filibuster, and we're going to change the rules on the Supreme Court, and we're going to make the Supreme Court 11 votes or 13 votes, and then we're going to put all liberals on the Supreme Court. And so the conservative majority will be gone forever, regardless of how you define it. Now, that would be a massive sea change in, in not just our rules, but in American life. And it would open the floodgates for America to no longer be America, which is where, probably where we're heading anyway. But for Biden to be directly asked that question and not even take a position, I mean, that's actually worse than taking a position because now you're showing, one, you're a coward, and two, the you have to presume if you're unwilling to say whether or not you're going to do it, that that probably means you're going to do it. Correct. Because otherwise, why wouldn't you? But here's what that sounded like and what should have been, in a rational world, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, moments of the debate. Whatever what? position I take on that, that'll become the issue. The issue is the American people should speak. You should go out and vote. You're in voting now. Vote and let your senators know how you strongly you feel. Let, vote now. You pack Make court? sure you, in fact, let people know you're a senator. I'm not going to answer the question Why because, you that because question? the question is the question is the question left. Will you who shut is up, on, man? Listen, who is on your list, Joe? This Who's is on your so list? Gentlemen, I think this we've is ended so this. He's going to pack the court. We have end, no, no. Not give a list. We have ended this segment. We're going to move on to the second segment. That was really a productive segment, wasn't it? Keep yapping, man. Keep yapping, man. Now, there Biden essentially gets out of the noose, largely because Chris Wallace lets him. Chris Wallace asked a direct... I mean, how amazing is this? Chris Wallace, who is famous for making sure he nails people to the wall and gets a response, asks a direct question. Biden passes. Trump tries to get him to answer. Biden doesn't answer. And what does Wallace do? He just says, okay, let's move on. And Biden gets to have the last, the last, not only the last word, but a laugh moment with the, you know, keep yapping, man. Uh, and boy, that was a productive segment. That was a classic situation of where Biden was dead to rights, dead to rights. And Trump, I think, tried to do the best he could to nail him to the wall, but Wallace allowed him to slither out by saying, okay, enough is enough. Uh, let's, let's move on to the next segment. There is absolutely no way 
that Biden should be able to become president without answering that question. That is that is that is unbelievable. And, you know, it's not a perfect analogy, but there's been rightfully a ton of media umbrage over the idea that Trump has not fully committed to accepting the results of the election. Correct. I I think that's abhorrent. There's absolutely no way that Trump should not be doing that. The reason why he's not doing that is mostly out of ego and because he's trying to set up this narrative that he got screwed and that if he lost, it was because it was rigged. Uh, And and so I'm 100% in agreement that that is completely wrong for a president to even imply that they will not accept the results of an election. However, again, not a perfect analogy, but if that's wrong, it's also wrong for a presidential candidate to not say whether or not they're going to pack the Supreme Court. Now, there'll be those who say, well, but John, the number of Supreme Court justices isn't in the Constitution. I'm sorry. It's the law. It's it's the precedent. It's it's a bedrock of our system in modern times. And if you're going to change it, you need to tell us you're going to change it because it would dramatically alter our entire system, if not the essence of our country. But Biden's going to get away with that, apparently, which is absolutely amazing. Now, to put all these topics together, then there came came the issue, although not in sequence, but eventually there came the issue of whether or not the, uh, the election is going to be fair, whether mail-in ballots are legitimate. And Trump once again went on his tirade of how terrible mail-in ballots are. And, and, and this is where it becomes a massive conflict of interest. And I, I'm uncomfortable about this, even though I like Amy Barrett. I want her to be confirmed to the court. As a conservative, it's incredibly important to me that, that there be at least five, maybe six votes that aren't lunatics on the Supreme Court as, as Biden and Democrats take over under unprecedented circumstances in the middle of this uh, pandemic and what have you and how the world is changing so quickly. That's very, very important to me. But it's also a massive conflict that uh, Barrett could end up being confirmed before the election and then being the deciding vote on issues related to that election where Trump is effectively determining his own decider in a very close election. And, and here's a little bit of, of what that sounded like, where Trump effectively acknowledges when asked by Wallace that, yeah, uh, you know, he does expect that the Supreme Court is going to play a role in this coming election. Are you counting on the Supreme Court, including a Justice Barrett, to settle any dispute? Yeah, I, th- I think I'm counting on them to look at the ballots, definitely. I don't think we'll, I hope we don't need them in terms of the election itself. But for the ballots, I think so. That's pretty extraordinary. I mean, now, by the way, there's so many elements of these things that get lost by the general public and the media is too stupid to pick up on them. But the Trump fans all believe, and I I deal with them all the time on Twitter, they all believe still to this day that Trump is going to win. He's going to win big. Some of them even believe that he's going to win by a massive landslide. I love the poorly educated. If that was the case, why is he already counting on this election going to the Supreme Court? Why is he so concerned about the validity of mail-in ballots? Why is he creating this, the election is rigged narrative? Why is all that happening? All I know is what's on the internet. The, The only reason why that would happen 
is if he himself thought he was going to lose or that there was a very good chance he was going to lose or at the very least that it was going to be exceedingly close. That doesn't wash with the Trump fan narrative. And by the way, neither does Trump's entire strategy in this debate. Think about it from this perspective if, if, if you want to be rational about this. And it's always dangerous to use rationality when evaluating Donald Trump. I understand that because he, he likes to his fans like to think that he's a great chess player. I think he thinks of himself as a great chess player. I, I've always said he's not even playing checkers. He's probably playing shoots and ladders uh, or Candyland. I mean, that, that's, that's his level uh, of thinking ahead as far as the strategy is concerned. But just from a human perspective, if you believe you are going to win and you're Donald Trump, why in the world would you be so over-the-top aggressive in the first debate? Why would you do that? That goes against every rule of strategy. If you are ahead, there, I mean, just think about it from a football standpoint. It would be like if you're ahead in the game, if you thought you were ahead in the game, why are you throwing Hail Mary passes and double reverses and trick plays the entire debate? Why would you do that? There's only two possible explanations. Either you're a strategic moron or, more likely, you don't really believe that you are going to win. Correct. And you are desperate. Correct. And that you know you need a knockout. Correct. And you're not getting it. And when you're not getting the knockout and your opponent isn't melting like you predicted that he would. Correct. You start to panic. Others, and I agree with this, have made the the analogy to the infamous Mike Tyson-Evander Holyfield fight. Where Mike Tyson, who was once the baddest man on the planet, gets into the, the ring with Evander Holyfield and Holyfield isn't melting Hollyfield isn't intimidated by him. Tyson is past his prime. Tyson starts realizing he's going to lose, and instead of taking the ignominy of losing, he bites off Evander Hollyfield's ear. Are you not entertained? Well, he ends up getting disqualified for that, but at least he didn't lose his manhood in his mind, right? Because he bit off the other guy's ear. Well, I think there's something similar that happened last night. Biden was able to weather the storm. And, this, you know, if you want to attribute some semblance of a strategy to Donald Trump here, the strategy seems to have been throw everything we got at Biden and he's going to melt and America's going to see that he's senile and he's not up to the job. And therefore, I will win because it will now be a referendum on whether Biden's up to the job rather than on whether or not people want me to be president for another four years. There's some semblance of rationality to that strategy. But when it clearly wasn't work working, Trump upped the ante and he became a full on asshole. And uh, and for me, the 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 subject on which it went eventually totally over the line, I mean, although it's hard to determine where the hell that line was, was over the issue of Joe Biden's sons. And, I mean, Trump went after his son, one of his sons, for being a drug dealer, didn't understand which son Biden was talking about, which is particularly uh, insensitive because, obviously, one of 
Joe Biden's sons died tragically. Uh, and and so Biden was I mean, Trump was effectively being very dismissive uh, of that particular situation. And, and then, of course, there's the Hunter Biden circumstance, which Trump tried to use to get out of the Ukrainian uh, scandal, which resulted in, in his impeachment. And this is where I just really do not understand where Trump was coming from. I do not get who he thinks, who he thinks he's appealing to with this Hunter Biden issue. I didn't give a shit about Hunter Biden before COVID, all right? After COVID, I couldn't, I, I couldn't care at all about Hunter Biden. I don't care if Hunter Biden is being paid by foreign governments for the worst possible reasons, which there's no evidence is actually the case. I don't care. I don't care. I, I want my country back. And I, and I don't want things to get worse because of, of stupidity and and butt covering. And that's, the, frankly, almost the only issue that matters to me, at least in the short run. And so why in the world, and frankly, it's ego, almost all of the problems that Trump had last night in this debate, you can pinpoint on his ego. He's still pissed off that he got impeached. And that's why he has a thing against Hunter Biden, because he views that the Hunter Biden issue somehow should have uh, prevented his impeachment. Well, here is a portion of the interaction between uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump over the issue of Hunter Biden, and uh, and which is as typical of the entire night. Things are completely off the rails. Mr. President, let him answer. He doesn't want to let me answer because he knows I have the truth. His, his position has been totally, thoroughly discredited. By who? And the media. By everybody. Well, by the, by media, the media, by our allies, by the World Bank, by, e- by everyone has discredited. As a matter of Dude, fact, no, matter of fact, Mr. even the President, people who testified under oath. So let me ask oath, you this. Henry, you, no, no, oath, go ahead, Mr. Henry, I'm listening to you. People under, you got three he, and a half million testified, dollars from Moscow. Te- he testified under oath in his administration, said, I did my job and I did it very well. Oh, I really? did it I'd honorably. Like to know who they are. Every, well, I'll give you the list I'll of the people them. who testified. No, no, go ahead, sir. Sure, you, they, you've already fired most of them because they did some a good job. Some people don't well, do a good here's job. The, with you, Go ahead. So you get the fi- wait a minute. You get the final word. Mr. Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. Excuse me. This, hey, hey this let me person. just say to you. So it is kind of amazing to be as fair as possible, as I always am on these things, that Joe Biden is being perceived in the media as the, you know, the virtuous one in this shit show. When he called the president of the United States a liar, uh, he called him a clown, uh, he called him a racist. Uh, and it's I mean, come on, this was this happened in both directions. And, you know, I think probably it helped Biden in that he was willing to fight back because I think that's what his base wanted to see. But neither of these guys were virtuous in this. They both participated. It was everybody was everybody was horrible last night. Trump was an, a jackass. Biden was a moron. Uh, Wallace did a terrible job. We're better than that. No, no, we're not. Maybe one day we were, maybe we were just faking it then, I don't know. But we are no longer uh, any close to better than that. That's what we are. Last night is who we are, unfortunately. Now, getting back to the substance of this thing, I I just said that, to me, (laughs) this election really ought to be all about how you're going to handle COVID and and the reaction to COVID. Whether or not we're going to shut down the government again, whether we have a, a good handle on what's really happening and not happening with regard to the virus, And Biden did something 
that, again, should be the talk of the day. But it's not because of all this other stuff that went down. He effectively said that he's going to shut down the country again if there's any semblance of a reason to. In other words, if Dr. Fauci, who he said over the weekend he's going to do hire immediately after he gets elected and do whatever he says, I'm paraphrasing, but that's a fair paraphrase, that uh, effectively Fauci is going to be even more powerful in the beginning of a new Biden administration than he was when he shut down the country in March and April at when this thing was actually beginning and when it was by far at the, its most dangerous and and Biden essentially said, yep, I'm going to shut down the country again under the premise that, you know, Trump screwed this all up and we're going to show you, just as I predicted weeks ago was going to happen, we're going to show you how this is really done. We're going to and, and the subject, the, the specifics, of course, are, are nowhere to be found. Biden always likes to say, oh, I got a plan. Trump doesn't have a plan. And then when you ask him what his plan is, the plan is basically and this is this is not hyperbole, money and masks. That's basically the Biden plan. Money and masks. We're going to throw money at this as if, I don't know how throwing money at a business for PPE allows them to open up when they're not legally allowed to open up. Uh, As if that's really even the issue to begin with. And then this federal mask mandate, I mean, don't even get me started. It's it's just totally. It's just flat out ridiculous. uh, but, uh, But that's really the Biden plan. And so Trump, to his credit, did confront Biden on this issue of shutting down the country again. I don't know to what effect. This is part of the price Trump and all of us pay because Trump has no credibility because he's a pathological lying sack of shit. And so, and that's always why I was most concerned about Trump being president in a crisis because that's when your credibility really matters. And Trump has none of it. And whatever credibility he had, he blew at the beginning when he said this is no big deal. It's going to fade on its own. It's a Democratic hoax. All that business, all that credibility was gone. And so I don't know what impact that's going to have. But what I heard last night was a Joe Biden that's going to shut down the country unless there's a miracle, which, of course, you know, Biden himself uh, told us that there there is not going to be a miracle coming. So, uh, you know, that's the that to me was the biggest alarm bell in all of this. And Trump, I believe, blew it, as he always does. And he blew it for the reasons that I've articulated previously. I have told you for weeks, maybe months, that Trump's biggest problem politically on the virus is he can't pick a narrative that works for him because of his ego. Correct. His ego will not allow him to tell the truth about where we really are and where we're going because he so desperately wants to believe that he saved two million lives in the past and therefore he's handicapped. He's got at least one hand behind his back and it showed last night in his inability to dismantle the Biden narrative with regard to the virus. Let me give you a really good example. There were a couple of great opportunities for Trump. The issue of Trump's crowd sizes for his rallies came up. And this goes back to Trump's ego again. So what does Trump do? Instead of saying to Chris Wallace, although he he tried maybe for a sentence and it got garbled by the crosstalk, but instead of focusing on, and this is the answer that he should have given, you know, uh, Chris, it's very interesting that my crowds outside are very large because we've had almost no issues, 
There's nobody that's been hospitalized, no one that we know that's died because of this. We are actually showing the world that maybe the experts got this wrong, that maybe the virus has passed to a stage where we can do outdoor events, which is why I correctly was in favor of schools opening, why I was correctly in favor of football being played, which is now being played partially because of me and without major incident, without any hospitalizations, without any deaths. That should have been the focus. That Instead, the focus is, well, my crowds are so big. Bidens are so small because no one cares about him. Everyone cares about me. Fuck you. Fuck you with your goddamn ego and, because this is about who we are as a country. And instead of using this issue and this incredible opportunity to tell a massive audience, although not as massive as normal for a debate, down in the ratings slightly from 2016, maybe more depending on how you define it, but instead of using this opportunity to educate people about why your rallies show that the narrative is wrong, Trump decided to make it all about him and his ego. Let me give you another example. And if I, you know, God forbid, if I was running the Trump campaign, this would have been the major focus with regard to COVID and the debate. I have said constantly he needs to create a major distinction between the world uh, and America in 2021 if he's still president and if Joe Biden takes over. And Joe Biden and Dr. Fauci provided a golden opportunity for Donald Trump and Trump never even mentioned it. And here was the golden opportunity. The Republican governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, has effectively totally opened the state, even though the stats in Florida are not that great right now. They're clearly on the decline. A lot of it's very backlogged. For instance, today they had 173 deaths recorded in Florida. I guarantee you that 80 to 90 percent of those occurred weeks, if not months ago, the way this garbage data is being compiled. Their cases are way down. Positive tests are way down. Uh, but the, the reality is it's a gutsy move by Ron DeSantis. He's saying, all right, we're done. We're opening up. And guess who came out against it? Dr. Fauci, of course. So this opened up a tremendous opportunity for Donald Trump, especially when Biden just praised Fauci and said, Fauci is going to be my man. I'm going to take my orders from Fauci. So you got Fauci coming out against the Florida reopening. Florida is the most important state for Donald Trump. If Donald Trump had a fucking clue, if his campaign had a fucking clue, he would have said last night, Joe, your guy is Dr. Fauci. Sometimes he's not all that right. I've seen it myself. I think he's dead wrong about Florida. Are you standing with him on Florida? Are you saying that opening up Florida is the wrong thing? And are you willing to bet this election on what happens in Florida in the next month or five or six weeks between now and the election? Are you willing to do that, Joe? Are you going to side with Dr. Fauci? Are you going to side with the people of the state of Florida? And if Trump had done that, he would have set this thing up to where if, in fact, Florida doesn't have another major outbreak, which I don't believe they will, their, their data doesn't reverse, then guess who was right and guess who was wrong? Biden and Fauci are wrong and they sided with the quote-unquote science instead of with the people. And I guarantee you, 
If he had done that and that was the result, Trump would win Florida and maybe more states based upon that. But Trump didn't see it that way. Trump doesn't have the balls. Trump doesn't have the brains. He doesn't have the strategic ability to think that way. And it's going to cost him the election, in my opinion. Now, there are a couple other things that happened at the debate. Of course, the media just, you know, they can't believe that Donald Trump did not condemn white supremacy and white supremacists. Tim Scott, black Republican uh, senator from South Carolina, came out and said he believed that Trump misspoke about that, didn't understand the question. Even Fox and Friends, usually Trump's favorite TV show, effectively said the same thing. This was a mistake. Look, it was a mistake not to condemn white supremacists. Uh, I don't know whether or not Trump uh, understood the question or not. I can understand his hesitation in condemning every anybody. But here's where we go back to anybody who's going to be on his side. See, Trump believes anyone that's on his side is inherently a good person. That's the problem. I don't think that Trump is in favor of white supremacists. I think Trump is in favor of who's ever in favor of him. doesn't matter who they are. But here's my bigger problem, with, and it goes back to this issue of fairness. I found this to be comical, comical that in asking Trump the question about white supremacists, Wallace effectively references that Biden won't condemn the fringe of his supporter group, but doesn't require Biden to do so on national television in a debate. Yet he he directly required Trump to do so. So if you're going to require Trump to condemn a fringe portion of his base, which we presume white supremacists are, even though... I believe white supremacists are about you know, a minuscule portion of the population, but the, the media makes them into a, a far larger group than they actually are. So if you're going to force Trump to condemn them, then where's the ensuing question? OK, uh, Joe Biden, will you condemn Black Lives Matter? Or at least the, the, the most ardent elements of Black Lives Matter? Of course not. Because then Wallace might get accused of racism and he got, he'll get canceled on Twitter and you can't have that. Well, that's not fair. And, and that's probably part of why Trump balked at, at doing what he should have done, which was to just condemn white supremacy and move on. But that's just the essence of the unfairness of the process. And I, can, I get, I hate his whining, but I get why Trump is whining about all this, because it really is unfair in, in, in its essence. It's all set up. It is all set up to favor Biden. I mean, even just in the premises of the questions, there was one subject about global warming. And Wallace, the the accepted essence, the foundation of the question is, well, that global warming is real, that man is responsible, and that government can somehow do something to stop it, which is so similar to the whole COVID narrative, and, and I believe to be mostly bullshit. I don't think government has any goddamn control over it. So, So the premise is clearly stacked against Trump. And then Biden, and I guarantee you there's nobody in the mainstream news media that's going to touch this. Biden, I guess because someone told him this was true or he, you know, he wants to appeal to the state of Iowa, which was a, a semi-swing uh, state, which went for Trump in 2016. Biden comes out with this line that, that Iowa never had the floods that they're having or had recently until global warming happened. Now, immediately my bullshit detector goes off. I'm, I've never even been, I think I've been to Iowa one time, but I don't know that much about Iowa, but I got a good BS detector. So I immediately go and I research Iowa floods. And as of 2014, the top six worst floods in the state of Iowa, five of them occurred in 1993 or earlier. 
Two of them occurred in the 1800s. And I think two of the others occurred in like 1950 and 1960. Well before the whole global warming thing. So, so that's just not true. And yet no one's going to call him on it. Because that would be a violation of the religion. And that's not fair. That, that is a set entire section of the debate is set up against Donald Trump and against conservatism. And, of course, the media loves that because it goes to their narrative. So what's the bottom line in all of this? Okay, what's the bottom line? I don't, as of this moment, and I will obviously be looking like everybody else will at the polls to see whether or not there's any major movement in either direction. I don't believe, even though it was a hurricane last night, I don't believe that the hurricane is going to have much impact on the actual uh, state of the race. I, I, I think that the, things are so static that we are so partisan that there are few, so few independent, truly independent voters and frankly, a lot of those independent voters probably weren't even watching last night. The, the ratings were huge by modern standards because we're so fragmented. But when it's on almost every network, you have no choice to, but to watch. But they were down from 2016. Still, you had well over 40 percent uh, of all televisions that were tuned in to this. So you would think that it would have an impact. But I got to believe that Trump fans loved the Trump they got that Biden fans were happy with the Biden they got. Rationally, you would think that Biden would improve his position at least slightly because of the fact that Trump was such an asshole and because the media coverage of this is going to be so negative towards Donald Trump and because Biden did not melt down. So I could see Biden getting a small bump uh, out of uh, this uh, uh, debate event last night. You know, but the the irony here is, and this I'm I'm confused. I'm I'm confused by what Trump's strategy here was, because I actually think Trump was going to win on substance. Now, part of that's because I agree with a lot of his positions, at least as they are today, especially with regard to COVID. But if he had just played this fairly safe, I think he probably would have won the debate on substance. It would not have been portrayed that way. But there wouldn't have been nearly as much attention on temperament and what a shit show the whole thing was. And what's bizarre to me is I don't believe that Trump was in that desperate a position. I, 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 when you look at the polling, and I've been someone who's been saying consistently over the last several months that Trump is in big trouble, that he's probably going to lose, that it, you know that it, it won't be a blowout, but that from an electoral college perspective, Biden is well positioned to win plenty enough states to win this thing. But there was some movement, despite massive negative publicity and the Bob Woodward book and the Atlantic story and COVID and everything else. Despite all that, Trump was making some headway. So I don't see the desperation. Of course, it's possible that within the Trump campaign, there's even more desperation than we know. My gosh, it's remarkable that it's gotten so little publicity. But Brad Parscale, is that how you, I, think Bar, I think it's Parscale, however the hell you say his last name, the former campaign manager for Donald Trump, got into this bizarre episode of the weekend where he, he, he was barricaded in his house and apparently allegedly abused his wife and got hospitalized for threatening to kill himself. I mean, boy, that doesn't sound like a winning campaign. This is the guy that was running the campaign just a couple of months ago. 
And I, he's had such a mental meltdown that he's in the hospital for a potential suicide attempt. Uh, so you know, when you consider the meltdown last night by Trump and and that particular story with his former campaign manager, there's a lot of evidence that within the campaign, there's panic. They certainly look like they're panicking. And, and so maybe their internal numbers are worse than what we're seeing publicly, which would make sense because having been a, a, a political polling analyst and spokesperson for Quinnipiac University many, many years ago, I'm very familiar with the culture here. The culture is they don't want to be wrong again about Trump. So they're going to do everything they possibly can to make sure that they aren't wrong again. So if anything, they're going to do everything they can to make sure they don't miss Trump voters this time around. Because if Trump were to win from behind for a second straight time, no one would ever believe any polls ever again. So this is just a theory, but I think it's possible that as bad as the polls are publicly for Trump, that they're even worse in private. I don't know that. It's just a theory going on reading the tea leaves here. Uh, and I would I could change my opinion on that with more information. But I just, you know, while Biden is absolutely the favorite going into last night, I think Trump still had a shot. But I think he might have blown it with the way that he handled himself and the way that he has now clouded over some of the many mistakes that Biden made. I mean, my gosh, Biden couldn't even name one police endorsement he got. I mean, that was a horrendous moment. Uh, I mean, Trump did a really good job there of nailing Biden to the wall, and Biden came up empty. And is that going to be the story today? Not likely. No, not for most people, except maybe on Fox News Channel. So my guess is that, uh, that this was a wash, that in the end we're going to be right where we were with regard to the race as it was. And now we're starting to get into a situation where very few events could even theoretically change things. People are already starting to vote. And I'm not convinced we're going to have more debates. I think there is a reasonable chance that uh, if you're the Biden campaign, what do you have to gain? Let's say that the polling is either unchanged or they get a small bump after this uh, debate. If that happens... What is their incentive in debating again? They've already shown that their candidate can withstand Trump's biggest onslaught. And Trump lost the all the moral high ground in being able to say, well, we should have debates because America demands them. No, no, no. That was a shit show last night. And even though the media loves debates, if Biden under these circumstances was, was to say, you know what? Uh, last night was an embarrassment to America. We shouldn't go through that again. Uh, I, I believe the president has forfeited his right to debate, and I am pulling out of the following debates. Unless, and here's the way he would do it. Unless the president agrees to certain conditions that he knows Trump is never going to agree to, then he can portray it as, well, Trump is, is unwilling to do a debate properly. I'm not going to participate in another shit show. And I think the media would back Biden on that. And I don't think that Biden would suffer very much because he already showed he could withstand it. So I, I don't know for sure. Obviously, it's a you know, contrarian uh, uh, theory on my part. But a lot of times my contrarian theories are correct. I would say there's a better than 50-50 chance there's not going to be another debate between Trump and Biden, which further 
eliminates the opportunities for any significant change in this election. That then basically leaves the Amy Barrett nomination and how that ends up going and how that is perceived. And the lifelines for Trump are starting to dwindle fast. There is a potential lifeline with Barrett. If the Barrett confirmation process goes absolutely perfectly and Democrats overplay their hand, which they always, 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 always do, and they attack her in a way that does not seem appropriate, uh, I think that could, in theory, help Trump and, and maybe help Republicans salvage something in the U.S. Senate where I think they're currently headed for a loss. But, of course, it could head the other direction. I mean, what if the Biden, the Barrett, what if the Barrett nomination does not go perfectly? There is almost no room for error. I thought it was fascinating last night. No one picked up on this. But Trump left the door wide open for Barrett being confirmed in a lame duck session after Trump loses the election, which would really be something. If that happens, and that was my first, when first all this went down with Ruth Bader Ginsburg losing, I thought they have to be relying on a lame duck session because there's just not enough time between now and election. Well, they're apparently going to try to make enough time. The confirmation hearings start apparently on October the 12th. They have the schedule all laid out. Here's the one thing they don't have scheduled yet. They don't yet have scheduled uh, the date on which some former student of Amy Barrett's at Notre Dame, who just happens to be super liberal, is going to come forward with an allegation of sexual assault or that she's a member of the KKK. That, that One of those two things is going to happen. So we might as well put it on the calendar right now. We know that. There's going to be some bizarro world allegation uh, and it will just happen to be by somebody who's super liberal. That will just be a coincidence that they, they witnessed Barrett doing something uh, completely wrong in the realm of either race or, or uh, sexual assault. Because those are the only two things that really move the needle. And I'm sure it'll be bullshit, but uh, we should might as well put that on the calendar right now so that we all know how to plan our day. Uh, I'm, almost, I'm only being partially facetious because I do believe that's where we're headed. Now, uh, wrapping things up, as far as the virus is concerned, uh, the world passed one million deaths with or of coronavirus since this all began probably back in December last year when we really started uh, counting this. So in the last nine or ten months, one million people worldwide have died with or of coronavirus. I got four alerts on my phone when this this benchmark was passed because the media loves zeros. The power of the zero on the media is like the power of a swimsuit model for Sports Illustrated on a teenage boy. I mean, they, you just—they are completely enamored with zeros, and the million number is magical to them. Of course, not one of these fucking morons can do the basic math of what that means to a world population of 7.8 billion people. B -b 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 billion people. You know what percentage that is? You know what? I mean, obviously it's terrible. It's tragic, horrible. A million is a huge number. The earth is a massive place. That number of deaths is zero point zero 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 one two of the Earth's population. That is a minuscule number and barely, barely registers 
on the Earth radar. Does that mean it's not real or that's not a problem or that we shouldn't try to do something about it? No. It's called perspective. And, you know, of course, uh, the media is dead set on creating any negative narrative they possibly can and destroying all elements of freedom. Two of their favorite targets, one worldwide, one in the United States, are Sweden and South Dakota, because those are the two of the places that have been by far the most liberty and freedom based in their reaction to COVID. You're probably already heard and will hear of stories of, oh, wow, Sweden, the herd immunity thing isn't working. It's not real because cases are starting to go up in Sweden. Same thing in South Dakota. They're, they're, you know, they're, their cases are going up. Yeah, except there's a couple things. Number one, there are no deaths yet. None. In Sweden, their deaths hasn't shifted at all. They're at one death a day and have been for almost two months. So there's reasons why test results might change, especially when testing has increased massively with schools going back in session and what have you. Uh, I, you know, so you know, it's something to keep an eye on. But until it results in an actual increase in death, I don't buy any of these test increases because the test has already been shown to be unreliable and testing results are very much a function of the amount of testing being done. And all throughout the United States, by the way, the media is not telling you this. They're trying to find places where, oh, my gosh, positive tests are increasing in 23 states. What they don't tell you is that testing is increasing in like 49 states. We are testing at humongous levels. In fact, tomorrow we're going to get to, and I guarantee you the media is not going to fall in love with these zeros. Tomorrow in America, we will pass a remarkable threshold. 100 million negative tests. 100 million negative tests. Think about that. This virus is so contagious, so contagious that that's after seven months of testing, or at least six months of testing, a hundred million times there has been a very sensitive test for coronavirus that has been administrated to Americans and turned out negative. Over seven million positives. We don't know how many of those were false positives, but a hundred million negative, negative results. Think, I mean, it's just mind blowing to think. If this thing was that contagious and that horrible, by, by the way, you have to test everyone to even find out that they have it. Uh, if this was anything close to what we were told, you would not have 100 million negative tests in six or seven months. You wouldn't. So the media is playing fast and loose with the numbers. They're cherry picking just like I predicted that they would. The definition of a positive test and a death and a hospitalization is actually becoming more liberalized in many of the states, weirdly even in the red states. So that's partially why the numbers are plateauing. The numbers are, are staying remarkably static. Uh, you know, I still believe that they will continue to diminish over time, but it's taking a very long time, longer than I anticipated that it would, but it's heading in that direction, both, both in, the, in the matter of real cases, not positive tests, but actual cases, absolutely with regard to hospitalizations, which should be the number one metric, but we never talk about. Hospitalizations have fallen off a cliff and have no sign 
uh, of coming back in the other direction here in the United States. And yes, with regard to deaths, which we are now counting from weeks and months ago, which is distorting the decrease in the numbers. But that's the situation with regard to the virus. As far as the polling pre-debate, the political polling, I still maintain that Donald Trump was two points in both national approval and and in his support against Biden. In other words, if his approval rating went up two points or his support against Biden went up two points from making this a 50-50 race. Now, two points doesn't seem like very much, but in this day and age, that's a lot because we are so fragmented and we are so partisan and people are so ingrained in their positions. So I don't know whether or not that two points was obtainable or not, but it's still, you know, that's within Hail Mary distance for sure, which is partially why I was confused by just how incredibly aggressive Trump was last night in the debate, acting like a man who was desperate. Because I don't think it was a desperate situation, but maybe, as I've already implied, the numbers are even worse than they appear uh, within the Trump campaign, and that the national numbers are actually skewed in his direction because everyone's afraid of being wrong like they were perceived to be wrong in 2016. But I don't believe that last night helped Trump. I'm willing to hear out the data, see if that, that in fact is true. We've been wrong before about that, but I'm presuming that last night changed nothing. I'm also presuming that there may not be more debates. So with all that being said, I'm going to put Donald Trump's chances of winning re-election at 15%, but that's hanging by a thread. That's hanging by a thread. If it turns out that Biden got a bump from last night and that there are no more debates, he's going to be down by the, uh, in, the, in the 5% range. Uh, by the next episode of the Individual One podcast, but you'll have to tune in to find out if that's actually the case. So that'll do it for this edition of the Individual One podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual, the number one pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. Until next week, my name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network. <laughs>